Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Awesome. Okay, well, we're looking at worry this morning. Worry. I feel a little bit worried. I'm preaching on worry. This is fantastic. <laughs> the Bible says, Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, vulnerable, more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Oh, this is me. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour and glory was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you actually need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has enough worry in itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When I was a little kid, my dad used to say to me, today is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday, Rob. And now I sit there going, oh my goodness, it so is. <laughs> Some statistics on worry. 40% of all the things we worry about never actually happen. 30% have already happened and we can't do anything about them. 12% needless worry about our health. 10% are petty miscellaneous issues and 8% are real worries. 8% of the things we worry about are real worries. And half of them we can do little about. So that means that 4% of the things we worry about we actually have any control over. So we just leave now, be worry-free and carefree and get on with life. Steve always says to me, I never used to be a worrier. I used to be like really not very, like I was so cruisy when I was a bit younger. But who knows as the stakes get higher, the pressures get more, the worry seems to get a little bit more, yeah? And he always says to me, he's always like, you've got such a busy head, Rob. Like, I'll be sitting there going, okay, we're going to do this and this and this. And he's like, babe, settle down. You've got such a busy head. And I'm thinking in that very moment going, if you had any idea what was in my head right now, you would realise that you're really close to getting a punch in the face. Because I'm thinking about what are we going to have for dinner tonight and which child of that is actually going to have a tantrum about that because it's not their favourite meal, even though last week it was their favourite meal. And that child actually has told me a few times now that that's not their favourite thing. And am I actually missing the mark with them and they feel completely misunderstood? And oh my goodness, I've got to get the other one to footy training and the coach's marriage is falling apart and I haven't called his wife. And oh my goodness, their marriage falls apart. It's all on me because I didn't call them and I'm too busy to call them. And oh my goodness, we've got to get connect groups running and I haven't spoken to that person. And oh man, I haven't got time for groceries. Oh, flip the RTA is going to close and I haven't registered my car do we even have money to register my car and he's saying your head looks really busy what's going on why are you worrying it's all good babe and I'm thinking that's great I've got all these balls up in the air and let's hope to the Lord that I don't drop the one that is my kids hopes and dreams does anyone else feel like that does anyone else live that sort of headspace like in a moment like all you guys that think of one thing at a time that's my head in about two seconds that's not a whole day's worth of planning. That's like one little minute moment of my day. And yet the Lord says, don't worry. So how? What do you do? You just throw it all up in the air and walk away going, your deal, God. God's will, God's bill. Is that what happens? And just let everything fall to pieces? I don't think that's the kind of worry that he's talking about. I don't think even what we wear or what we eat 
is really the issue that God is talking to us about in this scripture. He's saying that those things that you place your focus and your worry and your concern on are really the things that are saying to me that you don't have faith in who I am. That's the, st- the stuff that he's talking about isn't necessarily whether we'll be having nachos for dinner tonight and whether that will ruin my child's world. He's, he's talking about the stuff that steals our faith and our hope and our joy and our trust that he's a good God, that he is a faithful God, that he is our provider, that he knows what our heart needs, he knows what our family needs, that we can trust him with the big and the little. That's what this scripture is talking about. And so the word says on so many occasions, do not worry. It doesn't suggest worry less. It says, do not worry, do not be anxious. I can tell you I was definitely worried and anxious on the sideline yesterday. And I'm praying, I'm standing there going, I'm doing a message tomorrow on worry and I can't even breathe. Like, and, and, and then I'm praying going, God, I just pray, you know, Jesse really needs a win in his life. He really, you know, Isaac gets everything, Jesse gets nothing, he really needs a win. And like, this is, you know, genuine parent stuff, right? Trying to manage children's emotional integrity and the IQ. Oh, flip, man, I haven't even got mine sorted out yet. And I'm praying, going, God, you know, Jesse, you know, he needs this win. And I felt like him go, yeah, so does everybody else on both sides, babe. Not right now. I am a servant of the Lord and I'm pushing through that. I'm not worrying. That's not the worry, you know. That's not the worry. The worry is, am I actually trusting God with Jesse's heart? Score is the score line. It's nothing. That's not our battle. Jesse's heart is our battle, yeah. And God cares about that and he's got that. And so the Bible speaks about running a race with endurance. I spent a lot of time at sport. One of my children is um, a runner. He runs for fun. He needs prayer. I don't run for fun. And, but one thing I do know is that when I have tried to run, um, when you're a little bit overweight and a little bit unfit and you're carrying a bit of extra load, it's don't even bother. Like it's, it's hard work. You get really tired. It hurts. It hurts for a long time, not just in that moment. Like I get up the next day and you try to sit on the toilet and you're like, that toilet's shrunk. I can't get down that far. Or you're trying to get in and out of the bed and, and Steve just laughs at me because I'm like, uh, 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 and he's like, he pushes me because it hurts. He thinks it's hilarious. That's what running with too much weight on you does. It hurts. And it's not a good stretch. It's not like, yeah, I've got a little bit fitter today. It's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. And yet the Bible says that we're supposed to run a race with endurance. So how do we do that? We do that with less weight on us. If we're carrying around the weight of the world in worry, we are not running with endurance. We're running like fatties. We're doing the, you know, the fat chick shuffle. That's what we're doing. And so we've got we to do some worry weight loss today. We've got to get some of those dead leaves off us. How do you do that? How do you, how do you battle this life? We're in a battle. We're in a race. How do you do that? Feeling like you are armoured up and ready, but not carrying the weight of the world. How do you carry your friend's marriage that's falling apart and still feel like you can run a race? How do you carry the weight of someone's child dying and feel like, yeah, I'm still free, I'm still running this race? How do you do that? The Bible says in Ephesians 6.10, it says, The armour of God, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities and against the powers of this dark, dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The enemy has come to steal our joy, our peace, our faith, our trust. That's what he's come to do because he knows he can take those away. We've got nothing. We're just walking around like empty shells, feeling hopeless, going nowhere, doing nothing. 
Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the devil of, of evil comes, you may, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything else, you still stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition, take all of this, take up your shield of faith, which which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Does anybody else sometimes feel like you just stand and go and take a hit after hit after hit and the enemy's just firing stuff at you? As Christians, that shouldn't happen. We should be standing there with our shield of faith going, you know what, nothing's coming through this. You can throw at me whatever you like, Satan, but I've got my shield and nothing is coming through that. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Your helmet, your head space. Oh my goodness, take captive every thought. One little thought, one little seed thought of what's for dinner can take my head down a very dangerous path in 30 seconds. I might be a little special in that way. Any other mothers like that? Thank you. I'm not crazy, babe. A little bit, a little bit. And something that I love about these scriptures is that there is no armour mentioned about the back. There's no armour in, you know, in the armour of God that's anything to do with the back, besides the belt that wraps around you, I suppose. belt's pretty useless if it doesn't go all the way around. But predominantly, it's all on the front, which means that we're not supposed to run. We're not supposed to hide. We're supposed to face things f- straight on. Do you know rhinos? We love it. We have this little thing in our family about rhinos. and um, Rhinos are pretty much blind. Did you know that? And rhinos actually run straight head on at their target, straight head on into the thing that is coming to attack them. Most of you would go, if I'm blind, I'm not running straight head on into anything on purpose. Maybe not on purpose, but they run super fast, straight into head onto what's coming to attack them. And they do that, do you know why? Because they know that their tusk thing at the front is pretty much stronger than anything they're gonna come against. We need to be rhinos. We need to, even though sometimes we go into something feeling completely blind, we have no idea of the outcome, we need to be able to run head on in full confidence that that which goes before us is going to be strong enough to break whatever's coming against us. Be rhinos, not stubborn and fat, but rhinos. <laughs> we have to be confident that we can win um, because God said we can win this race. He's already won it for us. It's hard work running, carrying extra weight. It hurts, we're slow, we burn out. Anyone feel like they're running and they're burning out a little bit. Let's be honest. I've been there many times. I think I get there daily sometimes. You feel like you're doing the best. You're working hard. You're, you're carrying the weight. You're, you care about the church. You care about your community. You, your family is, you know, you, you're doing everything. You're loving on them. You're cooking for them. You're praying for them. You, uh, um, when, they're, when they're out, you're picking them up. When they're drunk, you're grabbing them off the ground. You know, we're doing everything we possibly can and we're so exhausted. We're carrying a weight we were never supposed to carry, that's why. We're fighting with the wrong armour. We're fighting with the world's armour, which actually is heavy. And yet God says that, that his burden is light and it's easy. I want to look at the word. I want to look at um, Samuel. We're going to look at the story of David and Goliath this morning. So if you want to turn with me, we're literally going through the whole story. Um, and it's uh, 1 Samuel 17. And I was so encouraged. You know, God is so good. He... I've read the story of David and Goliath probably heaps of times, but I haven't really actually probably read it. 
I've heard it. I've sat in kids' church. I've probably led kids' church with it. But I've never really dug really, really super deep into it. And it's got gold for worrying and winning battles. You know, God wants us to be victorious. And this is the stuff he uses to actually help us do that. When he says don't worry, he's not saying be flippant and just don't worry. He's saying don't worry because I've got what you need to win. So let's have a look. David and Goliath. My, my interpretation of names sometimes um, maybe less theological than they should be, so be patient and gracious. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp in Ephesus, Damon, between Soko and that place. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley. Let's stop there. We're actually called to walk through valleys. You know, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, though I walk through. Whenever you see them camping in the valley, it means they've pretty much given up. They're they're hanging out in the valley. They're not walking through. They've kind of just camped in the valley. So the Israelites were camped in the valley and drew their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. If you're that big, why do you need a little man to go before you? Just saying. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. So picture this, right? Every morning and every night, both armies, they go up to the top of their hills and they stand there. They've got a big line. They look at each other and they're like, ready, taking you on. Goliath comes out dressed in all his gear. I mean, if he was was that big, he probably could have just walked out and like, what's going on, you know? But he walks out and every single day he spat at them Um, insults and ridicule and as if you're going to take me on do you even know that if you do take me on you actually become free but it's never going to happen so and they would all go "Ah," and go back down into their valley for 40 days and nights like they went up stood there he barked at them they went back down we'll keep going Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel why do you come out and line up for battle am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. Like he pretty much told them what they needed to do to be free. Like the enemy was telling them what they needed to do to be free. And yet every day they went back down and sat down in their valley. It was safer in the valley than it was to take on Goliath. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this, the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. These are God's people. They were dismayed and terrified. I don't want to be part of a group of people. I don't want to be a person that's dismayed and terrified of the Goliaths in our life. Now David was the son of Ephrathite, something like that, named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The oldest three followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend to his father's sheep in Bethlehem. 
For 40 days, the Philistines came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. Now, Jesse said to David, take this of roasted grain and take 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back um, the assurance from me for me. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David is looking after his dad's sheep. His dad says to him, um, take all this food. They need some food and I need to know what's going on. You know, I want to know how they're going. Are they winning? You know, what's going on? So he sends David, who was the youngest. And, and we hear in our Bible stories that David was this tiny little man. And he probably was. He was young. Like he was a little boy. He wasn't like, you know, a fully grown Goliath adult. Um, and that's how I've always pictured David. Does everyone else think that's what David was like? Let's keep looking. It says here that early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. So they're all going up. They're all yelling at each other. Goliath comes, shouts back. They all go back home. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines and facing each other. David left these things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers, how are you going? As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard him. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will, the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage, and he'll exempt his family from taxes in Israel. So there's a great reward. David asked the men standing near him, so what has been done to kill this Philistine then? Like, what are you doing? Have you actually done anything? This is awesome. How cool is this? We'll have freedom and the king's going to give us great things. Who's doing it? Who's up? Like, what's wrong with you guys? Why haven't you done anything? And the brothers, got to love brothers. Who is this, uh, sorry, back to David. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David pretty much comes out and says, who on earth does he think he is? Like, these are the armies of the living God. Who does he think he is? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done to the men. So they went through it all again. Then Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men. He burned with anger and asked him, why have you come down here? And with whom do you have those sheep? Who's looking after your sheep anyway? What are you doing here? You've got other things to be worrying about. You've got other places to be right now, David. We're, we're trying to win a battle here by doing nothing, but you've got no right here. Like, who do you think you are, David? So he says to him, um, so who's looking after your sheep? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is that you would come down here and watch the battle. You know, sometimes when you stand up and you take a stand for something, even the most well-meaning family don't like it. They kind of go, how conceited are you that you think you can stand up against that? Who do you think you are that you think you can make a change there? You know, we've been working here for years. We've been doing this. Who do you think you are? They can come and do that. They pretty much call him a battle watcher. Somebody who comes in to watch people get taken out. David was far from a battle watcher. And even those who he knew close to him that didn't like who he was or who he was rising up to be, he said, too bad. I'm stepping aside from that. Even though you are calling me all these names, I'm stepping aside because I know that God has brought me here to do this. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, your servant, me. I will go. I will step up. 
Saul replied, you are not able to go against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. You can't do it, David. You don't have what it takes. You're too small. You're too young. You're too immature. You haven't been here long enough. You haven't been around. You've been out in the, in the sheep. And I love, I love this. This is the bit that I didn't know about David. It says, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. David wasn't a little boy church that was hanging out, waiting for his dad to give him some crumbs from the table to take to his brothers. He had been in the war room. He had been spending his days in preparation for such a time as that. When the enemies and the lions and the bears were coming to steal his sheep, he didn't just stand there going, oh no, the lion stole my sheep. He's like, I have responsibility over that little thing. I'm going after it and no lion or bear is actually going to rip it apart. I am going after the bear and I'm going to rip it apart with my bare hands and it's not having them. And so when he rocks up to a real battle... A real Goliath. And Saul says to him, David, you're too little. You, you don't know what you're doing. He's like, yes, I do. I've been battling in my war room. I've, I've been preparing for this. You might look at my physicalness and say I'm small, but inside I'm telling you I'll rip that Goliath apart. We need to rise up and be David's. When our worries and, our, and when our Goliaths are saying, you know what, your marriage is never going to recover from that. Your finances are never going to come back from that place because you made a bad business decision. When your kids are sick or you're sick or you seem like there's no health coming in any direction and the Goliath is saying you're never going to be well, you're never going to be healed. What are we going to do? Are we going to be the ones who sit in the valley and go, he's too big, you're right. I can't overcome this financial crisis. My marriage is doomed. I don't see an answer. Or are we going to be like David's who are preparing in our war room? The ones who are taking down the lions and then the sheep in our day-to-day life. So when the big battle comes and, and all of a sudden your world's falling apart, you don't run and hide in your valley. You get up and you take down that Goliath. You stand up and say, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll step up. Young people, David was young, step up. Let's keep looking. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. He knew who his God was. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. How cool is that? Saul went from you can't do it to David coming and going, yeah, I can. And Saul going, go. All right, man. You know, he inspired the king. Come on. That's pretty amazing. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on on his coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried to walk around because he was not, um, he was not used to them. Basically, basically, Saul said to him, okay, I know what you need to fight this battle. I'm going to put my coat on you. I'm going to put my responsibility on you. I'm going to put my um, burden on you. Um, that will protect you. So basically, when you're looking at that in the world, the world sort of goes, I know how to help. I'll give you this to put on you. And you go, but I'm too... It's, I understand that that was made to protect me, but I can't move because I'm not supposed to have that armour. I'm supposed to have on the armour of God, which is light and free-flowing, and I can run in it. I can't, I can't wear your armour, Saul. Like, your armour's too big for me. It was never made for me. Your armour's for you. My armour's for me. And so in today's life, we have to recognise when even good-meaning people are trying to protect us. 
who are actually putting weight upon us. You know, don't make that decision. Don't, don't go there. That's, that's dangerous. Don't do that. Well, no, you know what? God's told me to do that. And I'm going to walk in my own armour. So David took it off and he grabbed his stones and he says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch, in his shepherd's bag, with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you've come at me with sticks? Oh, man. When we're in a battle, when, when, our, when our, our marriages are in crisis or our schools are in crisis or our finances, you're like, I don't know how our ends are going to meet. I don't know how I'm going to pay for my house. I don't know how I'm going to um, care for my child who has rebelled and is in you know, a drug addiction. Or you know, when we have an addiction in our life and you go, I have daddled this thing and it just keeps coming back saying you can't beat me you can't beat me you can't beat me we need to be David's because Goliath he kept sprouting these things he knew exactly what to say to take away the confidence of the Israelites and David ready he says um meanwhile the Philistine with the the shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David he looked David over and he saw that he was little more than a boy. And he said, are you a dog that come at me with sticks? Come here, he said, and I'll give you your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Come on. If, if, if the enemy's coming at you, people, and saying your marriage is over because you've made a bad decision or your, your business is done for because someone ripped you off or your kid's sick and you, and you kind of going, I don't know what to do. You come at them and go, you know what? You can come against me with all your flesh or your like, but I come against you with the word of the Lord. I come against you with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I come against you with my Jesus who has died and says that I'm victorious and I'm an overcomer and that I'm more than a conqueror. I come against you with that and today I'm going to take you down. And I don't, it doesn't even matter if I lose my business and even if my marriage falls to pieces and even if my kid actually is sick and dies, you will not steal my faith, my joy, my peace and my love in my God because he is always faithful. He's always faithful. And that's what the enemy is coming for. He's not coming for your house. You can get another one. You know, he's not coming for that. He's coming for your heart and your joy and your salvation, your peace. He's coming at you going, did God really say that? Are you, look at you, who are you? That's what the enemy's coming at you with. And we need to respond with you. Come against me with sore and spear and words and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God. And then this, this very day, I'll give you the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All the, those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you or it'll give you into his hands. I just want to say in a practical note, if you've got worries in your life that you can actually practically deal with them, like if you're saying, I've never got any money, maybe have a look at that. Like there is a practical aspect. You can't just say, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I just pray that I will be able to continue buying 50 pairs of jeans a week and that won't affect my budget. Like you've got to be responsible. You know, in my busy week, when I'm looking at my week, going, oh my goodness, I'm so worried, I'm so busy. It probably is because I'm too busy. And I need to actually look at my calendar and, and sort that out and put some practical elements into my life to take away some of that. But there are some things that we have to stand firm on. 
and say enough's enough. I'm not going to hang out in the valley anymore. I'm going to get up and I'm not going to just get up on Sundays and, and, and draw up my battle lines against the devil and go, oh, I'm coming for you, devil, and walk out of here and go, oh my goodness, I'm going back to my valley. We've got to come in here and say, you know what? We've got this. We've got this. We can take down these Goliaths. You are not stealing my joy this week. You're not stealing my marriage this week. I'm going to rip apart every lion and bear that comes into my war room this week so that when Goliath comes, he's got nothing. He's got nothing. So David, this is the, this is the good bit. It's all good. I'm just loving it. Um, as the Philistine moved closer to attack David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, he took out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his head and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck him down. David ran over and he stood over the top of him. He grabbed him by the hair. Probably barely could lift his big fat head up, but he did it. And he chopped his head off. No more is that thing going to keep barking orders and demands and um, insults and accusations when its head's chopped off. This is the bit that I love. This is the bit that stirs me. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. They, their dead were strewn. The Philistines were dead, were strewn all along the streets. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. Our battles are not just for us. There is a whole family of children behind us. There's a workplace. There's a city of people who need to see us rise up to the things that naturally seem impossible, see us stand against them, take the sucker's head off, and then you watch them. Their shoulders will lift up. They won't feel like they're living in a valley anymore. They're like, you know what, we can do this. We can run through. We can take what the enemy has tried to steal from us. We can, we can take out the enemy. See, we inspire people, church. We're called to be the light. We're called to be the head, not the tail. We're supposed to lead the way. We take down the enemy. We take down the enemy. We bring a whole lot of people straight through into victory with us. And that's, exciting. that's our responsibility. That's our calling. You don't want to look at a Christian who is downtrodden and so tired and carrying such a burden and so exhausted. Why would you want to be like that? You want to see them with their shoulders back going, you know what, I can take you down. You know, I might not look like I'm very much and my history might not say that I'm very much and I may have come from a broken family and there may be mental health everywhere in my background and I might not have it all together and sometimes I'm mean at the footy field and, you know, there's lots of things that happen that I go, I'm not all there. And yet God says, you know what, Rob, I've called you to lead. I've called you to lead and I've called you to take down the Goliath and I've called you when, when the enemy's saying, you've got, you, what are you doing? Who are you? Who do you think you are? I know that God has called me. I can say, Goliath, you're not coming after my, my calling. There's a whole lot of people that God is calling me to take you down for because they've got to come through behind me. And if I sit down and, and hang out in the valley, then how are they coming? What, what's going to happen? I'm going to rise up. I had... um. I had the most, uh, I've had the most amazing experience, uh, privilege of walking out a journey with some very close friends of ours and um, I want to do their story justice but they, uh, quite a number of years ago, they had a, uh, fell pregnant, they had a baby girl and at their ultrasound they found out that the baby had some very significant problems and that her life expectancy was not great. Um, and I remember that, that first ultrasound and then we prayed, man. We prayed like you wouldn't believe. 
We were calling on every single demon to be gone and we, were, we had the word and, you know, we were, we were in the war room and we were battling. We we're like, God, bring healing to her, bring healing to her. You know, we, we stand against this and, and she was born and she was born exactly the way that they had said she would be born and she didn't live for very long and she blessed us immensely. And in that moment, we, we knew that even though we had prayed, God had said he would heal her. Now, God didn't say which side of heaven that was going to be. He just said he would heal her and we trusted that. And, and, and as, a, as a friend group and as a family, we got through that. A few years later, um, that same family, they, they had another baby. They, they fell pregnant with another baby, another girl. They already had some boys. So the idea of a girl was pretty special. It was pretty awesome. And at the, I think it was the 20-week ultrasound, um, the, the diagnosis came back and it was pretty much the same. Um, and it was pretty shattering. You know, you kind of stood there going, God... You know, you felt like you felt like Goliath standing there going, you told you, I'm bigger than this. I've got this. And, and we battled and we prayed and we, and we did whatever. And, and that little girl, she lived a lot longer and she fought and, and she, um, she just touched our hearts like nothing else. The cutest little thing you've ever seen. Even in all the deformities, she was the most beautiful little thing. And I remember in that time um, thinking about the whole situation and like, don't get me like that baby was in hospital in Sydney for like seven months, right? And so that was that's a lot of time that that family had to endure um, the what ifs. They had to endure the financial cost of that. It took a strain on their marriage. It took a strain on their other kids. It took a strain on their faith. It took a strain on on pretty much everything. And and people were looking at them, and they were like, "What's going to happen? You know, how bad is it? You've lost two baby girls." Like it was just this this overwhelming thing and I remember just thinking about that this week as I was preparing and I was thinking about this is what the Goliaths look like. Church, for them the Goliath wasn't whether their baby would live or die. The chances of that was not very high. They'd already been told by God that their daughters were healed and whole in heaven. So their Goliath wasn't whether their daughters would live or die. The Goliath was whether their marriage would be able to stand whether the enemy would be able to take away their joy, whether the enemy would be able to come and say, God is not a healer, that he's done it again, that he is not a good father, that he gives bad things. The Goliath had come and, and was trying to take out their kids' faith in that they could actually trust a God who's taken away their two baby sisters for no apparent reason. Their Goliath was their financial pressures. Their Goliath was, will their marriage be able to stand when they've got these, all these decisions to make that no parent should ever have to make? And I can tell you in full confidence and faith and absolute pride in my beautiful friends that they can stand today and they can stand over the Goliath. Their daughters are in heaven. They are 100% healed in Jesus' name. They stood over that Goliath and they ripped up his head and they said to him, you will not steal my children's joy. My children will grow up in the house of God serving and they are. They stood over and went, you will not steal my marriage, Goliath. God is big enough and then we, this fire that you've put us through, this refining that you've put us through, it's made us stronger. What you set out for evil has actually become something even greater. Our finances have recovered, they can say. They can say that they have got a story of grace and faith like no other. I just want to keep reading here for a second. There's, there's a key to this. It says, David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistine's weapon in his own tent as Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistines, he said to Abner, commander of the army, whose son is that young man? Whose son is he? Abner replied, as surely as you live, majesty, I don't know. I have no idea who he is. 
And the king said, find out whose son this man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Imagine that, just walking in with his head. I love it. Must be the mum of boys because I think that's cool as. But anyway, whose son are you, young man? And Saul said to him, David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse. My friends don't say they're the son of the servant Jesse. They stand with that Goliath's head in their hand in all faith, with all joy, with all hope for their future, with such a peace that their baby girls are completely whole in heaven. In their, they're in the arms of the father, you know. And when, when, when our friends who don't know Jesus and when, their friends, when our friends who go through a similar thing look at, at these people, they go, how are you so happy? How are you, like, it doesn't make sense to us that your marriage has actually flourished. You know, when babies die, the, the chances of that marriage actually surviving are really bad, right? When children die, then it, it takes its toll. But people look at them and go, you guys are like, you're not only amazing you go above and beyond for other people like you extend not only enough to keep you guys safe you extend to other people you bring people into your home you care about other people you've got a joy you've got a peace how is that how can you in the in the face of the most horrendous trial and battle how do you come out of it with joy and they stand there holding that Goliath's head and they go you know what because my father is God Whose son and daughter are you? The most high gods. Who, who has the victory? Jesus has the victory. The Goliath, the sickness, doesn't have the victory. The fact that even they took, that, that their daughters were taken from them, that's that they still have the victory. Because they can say, when they say, who, whose son or daughter are you? When your Goliaths come and you take them out, people look and go, something's different. That shouldn't have happened. You shouldn't be still standing there. You know? You've been through that horrendous sexual abuse your entire life. How are you standing there ministering to other women? How is that possible? Your, your marriage was over. Like, how, how are you still standing there more in love than you've ever been? You've lost everything. How are you still standing there and willing to continue to give because God says to give? How, how do you do that? Who, who do you think you are? Church, that's when we stand there and say, we are the son and daughter of the Most High God. We are more than conquerors. We are victorious. And no weapon formed against us will conquer. No battle that we face can take us out. You can take away our bodies. You can take away our money. You can take away our flesh. But you cannot take away our hope and our peace that God is good and he's got our back. So let's get into the war room, people. Let's get prepared. Get into the word. Find out what it says. You know, Don't go into battles of, with, with, with Goliaths thinking that you can do it with just a bit of willpower. David had been taken down lions and bears through the week. You know, come in here absolutely feeling like you can come in here and have a, a presence of God refilling and, a, and, and a, a, an encouragement. But it's not enough. We've got to get into our war room through the week. We've got to get into our word. We've got to know what the Bible says so that when the battles come, we're more than prepared. It's like, well, who do you think you are? You say, who do you think I am? I say, who do you think you are? Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We love you. We thank you that you have, um, even though we're skinny little Davids, supposed to be just looking after feeding people like the world wants us to. The church is supposed to feed people, look after the poor. No, we're not. We're called to be giant killers. Rip their heads off in Jesus' name. 
recognise God, help us to recognise that our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's not about people groups. It's against an enemy who's coming to rob, steal and destroy our faith, hope and peace. He's trying to steal our joy in God. Today we say as a church, it's not going to happen. Blow through us. Holy Spirit, get the dead off us so that we can get on with fighting. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can trust you at the, at the core of this. When you say, don't worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat, he's saying, trust me. Lord God, I thank you that we can trust you. You have proven yourself, like Tim has said, to trust you. You have proven yourself. You've gone to the nth degree because you love us. You haven't left us in the valley ready to die. You've called us to the mountaintops to take down Goliath, and we thank you for the privilege of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome.